Today at chapter 6, we're going to look back at the same eight verses that we read this morning in the uh, introduction. We're going to read those again, and we're going to look much closer to, uh, this evening at verses 4 down through verse 8. The Bible says there, beginning in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and it st- above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain... He covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried into another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. We looked at those four verses this morning. We're going to focus on verses 5 down through 8 this evening. The Bible says in verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Tonight we're going to look at the second installment In this sermon here, the purpose of life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for White Oak Baptist Church. And Lord, the adventure we've had over the last 12 months. And Lord, uh, the road ahead of us is is bright. Lord, the the, the road ahead of us is exciting. And God, what you're going to use this group of people to do to reach this community and beyond. I, I, I am just so excited to get to see... What's going to happen? And Lord, I pray tonight we would strongly consider this passage that uh, we're looking at. Lord, that you'd speak to us from it. And Lord, as Isaiah had his experience where he volunteered to serve you, Lord, I pray that we would be volunteers in your service. As it is our reasonable service, as Romans 12 instructs. Lord, I pray tonight you'd move in hearts. Would you stir my heart? Through the preaching of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. This morning we took the time to study the first four verses of the passage. By way of review, let's quickly look at those three points. You can throw that uh, slide up there for me there. We looked at, in verse 1, we saw the dream of Isaiah. We, we talked about how that God called, uh, uh, Isaiah called, caught him up in a vision or a dream and he saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw that his train or his presence filled the temple. Point number two, he looked at the declaration of the angels. How that in verse two and three, the Bible describes the seraphims that fly around the throne room of God, declaring how holy he is, how perfect he is, and that the whole earth is full of his glory. Uh, the third point we looked at out of verse four was the dominance of God's presence. We said that uh, uh, the Bible says there in verse 4, the, the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. When God spoke, it shook the doorposts, and, uh, and God is a powerful God. With the declaration of the angels, we talked about how that the angels were made for a purpose, and how that God created them with a specific purpose in mind, and how that God has created each of us with a specific purpose in mind. And if you don't do what it is that God has created you to do, then it won't get done. And so whatever it is that God has created you to do, boy, you better find it and you better do it. 
You better not just uh, let life happen to you. You better go happen to life. You better go find out God's calling on your life, whatever that is, and you better live with every uh, fiber of your being to get that done so that when you give an account to God one day, He can look at you and say, well done, thou, thou good and faithful servant. Uh, servant." When we talked about the dominant domination of God's presence, we talked about how some of us try to live life on our own. We go through life trying to do it our way and through our own power and our own strength. And God wants us to plug into heaven uh, through our devotional time, through a walk with the Lord. And He wants us to learn His heartbeat by being plugged into Him. We talked about the domination of God's presence. Ultimately, the question that was asked this morning uh, by God to Isaiah and by God to each of us is, are you going to sit on the sidelines or are you going to serve the Lord? Are you going to sit or are you going to serve? Isaiah, your country is going the way of depravity and sin. Are you going to be the average Israeli and sit on the sidelines and be an anonymous nobody? Or are you going to get in there and, and go against the flow and go against the grain and stand and serve and, 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 and declare what's right and live a, a life of integrity and honesty and truth and declare that in a mode of service to me and a service to your country. Tonight I ask you the same question, Christian, are you going to sit or are you going to serve? Listen, anybody can sit and be a nobody. You know, in a hundred years, no one's going to know your name. Nobody. But the difference you make for eternity, boy, that'll still matter. That'll still matter. How much money you make, nobody's going to care. What kind of toys that you uh, accrued or accumulated, no one's going to know. I was reading a book uh, some time back about a guy who was talking about his great-grandfather. And he said, I know one fact about my great-grandfather, and that is that he owned a hammer. I, what? He said, uh, writing down further in the book, he said, yeah, I was going through uh, some old stuff in my basement and I had this box that was passed down from generation to generation and in it were some things from my dad and from my grandfather and in there I found a hammer that my great-grandfather had etched his name in. He said, beyond that, I know nothing about my great-grandfather. He owned a hammer and that's all I know. In a few years, when you're long gone and your great-grandkids are adults, you're not going to be remembered. But what you do for God will still matter. What you do for God is going to matter. Uh, how you stand for the Lord is going to matter today. This evening I propose that if every Christian could spend just a few moments in the presence of a holy God, just like Isaiah did, they would feel, every Christian would feel a sense of urgency in answering that call to go and tell the world about the goodness of God and His salvation. This morning we saw three observations about Isaiah's uh, dream there. Tonight, let's look at four more. Observation number four, let's look at the depression of Isaiah. The depression of Isaiah. Look down with me in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5 as we walk expositorily through this passage. The Bible says, Then said I, Woe, am I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Listen, Isaiah probably thought before he entered the presence of God that he was a pretty good guy. That he was just as good as the average Joe down the street. He probably thought he was pretty good. But when he entered the presence of God and he saw the person of God, he immediately fell prostrate on his face and he began to groan. Why did he fall flat on his face? Why did he groan? Well, for the first time he realized that he was very, very, very sinful. Very sinful. It is natural for us to measure our morality and our behavior with those around us. The truth is, most everyone is better, better than someone. The average person will look at the drug dealer on the corner and say, I'm better than that guy. The drug dealer can point uh, to some murderer and say, I'm better than that guy. The murderer in prison, uh, he can find some serial killer locked up in a state pen and he can say, well, I feel good about myself because I'm better than that guy. The serial killer can point to the rabid lunatic in prison who's been locked up in solitary confinement and say, I'm better than that guy. But my friend, the comparison that we're to make is not with the average Joe down the block or the drug dealer on the corner. The the, the comparison we are to make with who we are and, and where we are in the sense of our morality and our behavior the standard is a holy and perfect God. And by that standard, we all fall mighty, mighty short. What does 2 Corinthians 10-12 tell us? It says this, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. They're foolish are not wise. I say, oh, pastor, come on. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good guy. Let me, if I could, let me, uh, let me just use this with you. Let's say that God came to you, and He called your name, and He said, tomorrow I'm going to make you a God. And you thought, what? He said, yeah, I'm going to make you a God of all the cockroaches in the entire world. You're going to be the God of the cockroaches. You think, Pastor, where are you going with this? All right, hang on with me here. Stay with me here. All right? You're going to be able to communicate with them. If they have a problem, they're going to come to you. All right? You're going to be the God of the cockroaches. And so, sure enough, the next morning you wake up and now you are overseeing the cockroaches of the world. And these two cockroaches come crawling up to you and they're just bickering and fighting, they're just having it out. And you, you look at the two cockroaches and you say, uh, what's wrong with you two? And cockroach A looks up at you and says, I'm better than cockroach B. And cockroach B says, no, 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 I'm better than cockroach A. And so you get them to, to, to quit the shout and match and you look at cockroach A and you say, why do you think you're better than cockroach B? And cockroach A looks up at you and says, cockroach B is dirty. And you look down at cockroach A and you say, you're all a bunch of cockroaches. You're all dirty. Every last one of you. You look at the sinner down the street who struggles with things you don't struggle with and you say, I'm better than that guy! You're all a bunch of sinners. 
Every last one of us. We're all a bunch of sinners. My friend, you must realize that, uh, that you cannot get to heaven based on your good works. You can't. You think, but I'm a pretty good person. Romans 3.10 reminds us there's none righteous. No, not one. None righteous. Again, the guy down the block isn't the standard. God in heaven is the standard. Uh, the Bible tells us in Isaiah, in fact, flip over there with me. Hold your place in Isaiah 6. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. Now, I find it very fascinating that God had Isaiah uh, pin this down. He could have had Jeremiah do it. He could have had Micah do it or Obadiah do it or Haggai do it. Uh, but uh, he had uh, he had rather Isaiah do it. And I think maybe the reason why he had Isaiah pin this verse down is because Isaiah was the one that had been caught up in this vision and he really had a perspective on how unclean he was unlike anybody else really had. Listen, you and I understand in theory that our righteousnesses, they're filthy, but we don't really understand it the way that that Isaiah did. Look what Isaiah penned in verse 6. He said, but we are all, we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. What was that filthy rag? Well, uh, history tells us that a leper would take a piece of cloth and wrap it around that pussy womb and when it was too saturated with pus he'd take it off and he'd hang it up on a tree and he'd let that dry and then he'd take it off the tree and he'd swap it out and put it back on and then once it was saturated again he'd hang it back up on the tree and once that rag had been saturated a number of times and could not contain anything else and be sanitary on any level it was labeled a filthy rag and Isaiah says your righteousnesses, our righteousnesses, are as filthy as that saturated, pussy, disgusting rag hanging up on that tree. You see, when you stop and you look at a holy God, a God that has angels flying around His throne room, declaring His holiness, His perfection, when you stop and look up at Him, Boy, you quickly realize, you quickly realize just how full of sin you are. You know what that does? That causes you to be depressed. You know what uh, Isaiah did when he really truly understood his state? He threw himself on the ground and he used the strongest language you can use in the Bible. He said, woe is me. Anytime you see the word woe in the Old Testament... Perk up and pay attention. That's a very strong, exclamatory word. Woe is me. Isaiah had the life sucked out of him. He fell flat on his face. He could not look in the face of God. Why? Because he was filled with sin. I'm here today to tell you that you cannot get to heaven based on your sin. This uh, afternoon I was outside taking some trash out to our trash can and my neighbor, my next door neighbor was out cleaning up some trash that uh, was down in the wooded area between our houses and uh, we got talking and uh, I made the comment to him and started trying to witness to him. His name's Matt. If you would pray for Matt, that Matt would get saved and Matt told me today, he said, I'm an agnostic. I'm not really sure what to believe about God and, 
And I made the comment to him. I said, Matt, I, I went through all the things that I do that society would label as good. I'm in the hospitals almost every week and I'm counseling troubled marriages and I'm helping addicts and, 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 I, and I, I, I write sermons from the Bible and I went through all this loneliness thing and I looked, and then I looked at him and I said, but can I tell you something, Matt? I deserve to go to hell. And he looked at me, what? You deserve to go to hell? I said, I do. I do. I said, because while I do all these things that society will label as good, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. My friend, tonight, I can't help you understand how uh, much we sugarcoat our own sin. We sugarcoat it. We seem to think that, oh, it's not that bad. It is that bad. Your sin nailed Jesus to the cross. Your sin hinders your relationship with God. Your sin keeps you from walking with the Lord. Your sin is bad. It's wicked. It's awful. And don't sugarcoat it any longer. Learn to hate your sin. Learn to fight your sin. Learn to kick your sin to the side. And learn to let your sin even bring you to a place of depression So until you deal with it in a big and a strong and powerful way. One other note that I'd like to add uh, this evening before we move on to point number five is this, that people become depressed all the time because they are focusing on themselves too much. Too much. When I do the Lord's Supper with you all, we'll talk about how sinful we are for a while in that Lord's Supper. Generally, if you notice, I take the focus off of us and I put it on the Lord. Why do I do that? Because if we focus in, we're too long. Oh boy. If we're honest with ourselves, that's depressing. You know, people who are depressed, can I just be very blunt about it? They're depressed because they're thinking about themselves too much. It's all about me. Me, 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 me. My life is hard. My life stinks. I got this. I can't catch a lucky break. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And you know what? If you want to be unhappy, just focus on yourself. Just focus on yourself. Now, we need to focus on our sin to a level where we deal with it and get rid of it. But don't over-focus on yourself. And let me just say tonight, I do understand that there is clinical depression. And I understand there's a very distinct difference between a, a depression because we're focusing on ourselves too much and clinical depression. I would never want to mix it two. And if you're dealing with clinical depression, let me uh, encourage you to get some professional help. But most people that are dealing with depression deal with that because it's too much about me. And I just say this, go out and... Find someone to help. I uh, was helping someone who was going through this uh, not too, too long ago. And uh, the person told me, they said, I was having a bad day. And I was uh, some things didn't go my way. And, and I began to have a panic attack. And, and, I, and I, I began to become tempted to look inward. And what I did instead was I grabbed some gospel tracts. And I went to the store. And I handed one to everybody I could see. And when I got done, I felt a whole lot better. You know what that person was doing? They were getting their eyes off themselves. Getting them on others. So number four, we see the depression of Isaiah. Number five, let's look at the distillation of Isaiah's sin. The distillation or the purging of Isaiah's sin. Look down with me at verses six and seven. The Bible says, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. There Isaiah is laying on the ground, confessing his sins, confessing the sins of his country. 
And that's a whole other thing I could preach out of this passage for the sake of time. I won't go too deep into it. But confess America's sins to God and ask God to forgive our country of all of our sins and to turn the hearts of the leaders that help make those decisions. While he's laying there flat on his face, God sees the pity in his heart. God sees the repentance in his heart. And he sends an angel with a live coal to touch his lips and to purge him from his sins. To take those sins away and to cleanse him. I'm going to read a lengthy illustration to you tonight. One that should captivate your attention. If it doesn't, let me just encourage you to pay attention on purpose anyway. This is a very, very powerful story. In 1818, Ignaz Philip Semmelweis was born into a world of dying women. The finest hospitals lost one out of six young mothers to the scourge of childbed fever. A doctor's daily routine began in the dissecting room where he performed autopsies. From there, he made his way to the hospital to examine expectant mothers without ever pausing to wash his hands. Dr. Simmelweis was the first man in history to associate such examinations with the resultant infection and death. His own practice was to wash with a chlorine solution, and after 11 years in the delivery of 8,537 babies, he lost only 184 mothers, about 1 in 50. He spent the vigor of his life lecturing and debating with his colleagues. Once he argued uh, 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 this uh, childbed fever is caused by decomposed material conveyed to a womb. I have shown how it can be prevented. I have proved all that I have said. But while we talk, 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 gentlemen, women are dying. I am not asking anything world-shaking. I am asking you only to wash. For God's sake, wash your hands. But virtually no one believed him. Doctors and midwives had been delivering babies for thousands of years without washing. And no outspoken Hungarian was going to change them now. Semmelweis died insane at the age of 47. His wash basins discarded, his colleagues laughing in his face, and the death rattle of a thousand women ringing in his ears. Wash me was the uh, uh, anguished prayer of King David. Wash was the message of John the Baptist. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me, said the towel-draped Jesus to Peter. Without our being washed clean, we all die from the contamination of sin. For God's sake, wash. Wash. We go through life with these sins that have been collected on our hearts. We stink in the presence of a holy God. We justify our sin. We justify our sin. And we justify our sin. And because of it, it keeps us from a strong relationship with a holy God. Unconfessed sin causes a strong disinterest toward prayer inside the heart of a Christian. A Christian who is living in known sin and doing so with an unrepentant attitude generally does not want to be near a holy and perfect God. You remember when you were a child? You remember when you were a child and you had done something wrong and you'd been caught by your mother and, uh, and, and your mother would whisper the infamous words, just wait till your father gets home. How many can remember a mother saying that to you? Just wait for your father to get home. You know what? I loved when my dad came home normally. I met him at the door with a hug. Uh, he'd give me a little punch on the arm and my arm would sting for a couple seconds and uh, we'd run in the kitchen. We'd get a snack together. I loved when dad would come home. But then when I heard the words, just wait 
for your father to get home, I wanted nothing with, to do with dad getting home. I can remember occasionally my mom wouldn't send me to my room, especially if it was early in the day. She'd let me go outside and play. And I'd see the car pulling up uh, on the road, Brook Lane Street there in Hattiesburg. And man, I'd get on my bicycle. I'd ride as far away from my house as I could get. I'd stay out as long as I could until I knew I had to come home. And then I'd pull into the driveway with the back of my legs tense, knowing what was coming for me when I got home. Christian, the reason why some of you don't pray is because you've got sin that is built up in your heart. It is built up in your heart. It is built up in your heart. And you don't want to go talk to God because things between you and God aren't right. It is time instead of running from God to fall flat on your face and say, I'm full of sin. Wash me. Wash me. Wash me. I want to be clean. And tonight we need people who will quit running from God and quit running from prayer and say, God, I'm sick of living a life of sin. I'm sick of my sinful habits. I'm sick of the sin that's in me that I don't even know about. Please, Lord, purge me from my sin and make me clean. For God's sake, wash. Wash that heart. Get on your knees and pray. God saw Isaiah's attitude toward his sin. He saw the repentance in his heart. And you know what God did for Isaiah? He cleansed him of that sin. He took that sin away. I've quoted the verse many times, and it's been quoted from this uh, from this pulpit and the pulpit upstairs thousands and thousands of times. First uh, John one nine: If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to cleanse us our sin and to forgive us of all unrighteousness. All you got to do is come to God with a repentant heart and say, "Lord, I'm sorry. I I don't want to do it again. Help me, Lord. Help me." And God will cleanse you. Christian, tonight I'd ask you, are there unconfessed sins in your life and your heart? Oh, I know this gets preached on from time to time, but I believe that uh, sometimes we just need a good old-fashioned kick in the pants to remind us that we've got to get on our knees and confess our sins and have our hearts right before a holy God. Every time we have Isaiah's attitude toward our sin, every time, God will forgive. God will distill, God will purge, God will cleanse. What some of us need to do, what some of us need to do is fall flat on our face before God and say, God, wash me. Lord, cleanse me. God, show me. Show me where I'm out of bounds. Show me where I'm wrong. Take those sins from me. Number six, we see the dialogue of the Trinity. The dialogue of the Trinity. Look down with me at Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. The Bible says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Just a quick note here. Notice that God speaks in both a singular form and then a plural form. And in normal grammar writing, that is a... That is a conflict of, of singular plurality. God does that on purpose. Why? Because we believe in a monotheistic God. We believe that God is one being, but yet He is three while He's one. You say, Pastor, that doesn't make any sense. Good. Good. It's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to be so far above us, we don't have to understand it. God is three individuals, but yet He makes up one 
individual. And I've heard all the different analogies and egg and all these different things and, and, and there's some parallels there, but I don't know that it's a true fit. God is singular while He is plural. And in His plurality, yet He is singular. How many of you are totally confused? Amen. Uh, but nonetheless, it doesn't matter because God is bigger and better than us and there are aspects of God we're not supposed to be able to understand. And here the Bible says, that uh, whom shall I send and who will go for us? What was it that Isaiah overheard after he had purged his heart from his sins? Purged his heart from the sins. He heard the Godhead sitting in heaven discussing the need of someone to step up and be a messenger. Notice the order of events here. This is very important. First, Isaiah recognized and worshipped the Lord. Recognized and worshipped the Lord. Some of you tonight, that needs to be step one. You're going through life, waking up in the morning, rushing into your day. You're busy, 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 busy. Go, 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 go. Hit the pillow at night you're sleeping 30 seconds. Wake up the next morning. Go, 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 go. Hit the pillow sleep in 30 seconds. Next morning. Go, 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 go. All the way to Sunday. i got to got to get to church. How about you stop and you walk with the Lord? You recognize Him. You recognize Him. You worship Him. And again, I've defined worship this way many times. I'll continue to do it. Worshiping God is first realizing that God, He is everything and I am nothing in comparison to a holy God. Getting that place, getting yourself to that place where you say, God, I'm a little nothing nobody in the grand scheme of things, and God, you are everything to me. The very first thing that Isaiah did was he recognized and he worshiped the Lord. The second thing he did was he repented of his sins. The third thing he did was he was, the third step here was that he was cleansed of his sins. And once those three things had happened, Fourth, he noticed the need. I'm going to give you a hypothesis tonight. The reason why some of you won't be motivated off the pew to serve the Lord is because you haven't gotten to step three. You say, Pastor, is that being assumptive on your part? Maybe a little. Maybe a little. Some of you, you're going through the routine of coming to church, and church is a good Christian country club for you, But it hasn't gone past that. Why? Because you never really have truly confessed your sins. You don't have a schedule of walking with the Lord and getting your heart clean. So you can't even hear the calling of God. Oh, you hear me up here uh, uh, banging on the pulpit and and, and doing jumping jacks and calisthenics and, and, and encouraging you to serve the Lord, but you're not hearing it from the Lord inside. Here's the truth. I can get up and I can preach and scream and yell and holler and and, and encourage you and make you laugh and make you cry. I can try to do all those things. If God is not the one pushing you from the inside to go, you may go for me for a little time, but you'll go for Him for as long as you're walking with Him. The push has got to come from the inside. And the reason why God isn't pushing some of you on the inside is because sin is in the way. And until you get that sin confessed and cleared out of the way, God can't help you. Let me uh, illustrate it this way. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 14 says this, For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Alright, let me illustrate it like this. Angela, where's Matthew at? Matthew, come up here real quick for me. 
my little man Matthew. All right? Matthew, come here. I want you to tell everyone what your favorite dessert is. Show them right there in my microphone. Turn around. What's your favorite dessert? Uh, cake. He likes cake. Me and April are ice cream eaters. Matthew and, and Angela, they're the cake eaters, all right? I like cake a little bit. He loves cake, all right? Let's say, Matthew, that I said to you, you standing right here, I said to you, tonight after church, we're going to go get some cake. Would you like that? Would, that? would that excite you? All right. Let's say that after church, Matthew went outside to play with his friends, and I'm standing here in the auditorium. Matthew's all the way out in the front lawn of the church, and I say from here, Matthew, we're going to go get some cake. If you come in here, we're going to go get some cake. You know what Matthew's not going to do? He's not going to come. You know why? He can't hear me. But now with Matthew standing right here, I can get down and say, Hey, Matthew, you want to go get some cake? You know what? He's all in. Thank you. You can go sit down. You know, the distance between you and God, sin, separates us from God. God is standing there and He's saying, He's saying, John! Mike! Kareem! Judy! Jake! Whatever your name is. I just picked some names out of the crowd. I'm not picking on anyone intentionally here. I have a task for you! And you're sitting there going, you know, God's never really told me to go soul winning. Oh, I know it says it in the Bible, but I don't feel any encouragement when the pastor preaches on that. Could it be because there's sin in your heart that you've never gotten out of the way? Many are called. Many are called. But just a few are chosen. Just a few are chosen. Notice with Isaiah here that he did not hear, he did not even see the need. He didn't even see the need until he got the sin out of the way. And tonight, what needs to happen is some of us need to fall on our face and say, God, get the sin out of me. Purge me. Wash me. Make me clean so that I can hear your call on my life. Number, number seven, and lastly, we see the decree of Isaiah. The decree of Isaiah. Notice that God did not call Isaiah to do the work of Isaiah. Isaiah overheard a conversation by the Godhead, and he volunteered. Look at verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. I volunteer. Right here. Woo! Hey, look over here. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Once he saw God high and lifted up. Once he got his, his sins confessed. Once his lips were purged and his heart was clean from sin. He overheard. He saw the need. And then he volunteered. And God did something great with him. My friends, if we'll get our sins purged and cleansed and out of the way, we'll say to the Lord, I want your heartbeat right here. I want to walk with you. Then guess what, my friend? God can begin to lead you and guide you to do something great for Him. This morning I began the message by asking this question. Sit or serve? Are you going to sit on the sidelines while the world goes to hell? Are you going to sit on the sidelines while things in the church need to get done? Or are you going to jump in uh, uh, all the way in and, 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 and two feet first, all the way in to do what's right? And, and Pastor, if it needs to be, I'll do it. I'm in. Uh, Lord, lead me. Here am I. I will go. There's a songwriter that put it this way. 
Uh, he wrote this song, There is peace and contentment in my Father's house today. Lots of food on His table and no one is turned away. There is singing and laughter as the hours pass by. But a hush calms the singing as the Father sadly cries, My house is full, but my field is empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems my children all want to stay around my table. But no one wants to work in my field. No one wants to work in my field. Push away from the table, then look out through the window pane. Just beyond this house of plenty lies a field of golden grain. And it's wide unto harvest. But the reapers, where are they? They're in the house. Oh, can't the children hear the Father sadly say, My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems my children all want to stay around my table, but no one wants to work in my field. No one wants to work in my field. Christian, anybody can sit around a table. Who's going to serve? Some of you have tried serving and you've tried doing it through your own power and you have burnt out. My friend, you've got to be plugged into God. You've got to have your sins confessed. You've got to let Him lead you to go out into the field that's wide under harvest and do a great work. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this evening.